0: We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. I'm listening to Battle Red radio. My name is Matt Weston and today I'm joined by our good pal diehard Chris. How are you doing today up, Chris? Matt? You doing all right?
1: I'm doing great man. That was quite a game yesterday.
0: Yeah it feels like a, a lifetime ago and it also kind of feels like a lifetime we've been waiting for a game like that from the Texans. Like I know like entering the season this was the game that's most most excited for in the calendar and you know you wait a few months or for the season starts but it really does feel like we waited five seasons or so for Houston to finally have a game like that with Bill mm-hmm. O'Brien as it not only not only as the head coach of the Texans but you know with Deshaun Watson as well too. Mhm.
1: Yes, and I, here's my thing, like I'm very excited about what happened and like you said it seems like it's been a long time waiting. There's been so many of those games where you had the almost big win on the road. A lot of them happened Deshaun's rookie year, and then last year you had the game in Philly and all those other ones, and it finally happened yesterday, and my whole thing is that's great, and now do it against the team that you should beat. You know, yeah. like, they they, they they craft the bet against Carolina, and, you know, Carolina's making the best of what they can right now, uh, you know, of what they have right now, and next week, you know, a tough road game in Indy, and the fact that it's a divisional matchup in Indy is – is doing pretty well this year would it would go a long way to getting people on board i think with uh with o'brien and the texans in general
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point too because it's been you know two really good weeks of back-to-back uh very very well designed offenses you know last week the falcons are terrible and it's like everybody kind of realizes at the same time like oh wait actually you know they are one of the worst teams in football and uh you don't really realize that until you see your team actually play them but their entire secondary is confused. they they don't have passed off any route combinations with Hopkins and Fuller at all. Their secondary is awful since Cannon O'Neill went down. Uh, their pass rush is non-existent too. And like Houston did a really good job taking advantage of it and scoring forty seven offensive points. And this week was kind of like a similar situation against the Chiefs where instead of their secondary being bad, it's just their linebacker group and Reggie Raglan's awful. Darren Lee's bad. Anthony Hitchens was out. Uh, Ben Nieman's like a white linebacker, and there's maybe like two good ones in the NFL right now. And of course, he's from Iowa because they all are. And he's done a really great job using play action, short passes, and also just sticking to the run. despite being down seventeen three, take advantage of them too. But it's been you know two weeks with really good offensive game plans. But there's been you know five years and some change where it hasn't. Yeah. Uh, that being said, like I I am really impressed by what Houston did to take advantage of the Chiefs and how they played the perfect game beat the Chiefs as well too and actually do the thing that they've been striving to do for so long that, they, that they've never been able to do.
1: Yeah, uh, and I mean, I, I want to just, like everybody else, I just want to get on board immediately and congratulate them and, you know, oh, things are going to be great now. But, I mean, inconsistency has literally been the thing since O'Brien's got here. You know, being almost right on the line 500 has been the thing. So, you know, I just i have just been doing this. I've been watching and paying attention and discussing Houston professional football for too long to overreact to even a great win. So uh, but it's fine. Like I, I enjoy each game on its own and uh, I, I don't see any reason why what they're doing now is going to change. I'm really curious what it is that changed, though. It seems like there must have been some sort of a conversation between, you know, I don't know. O'Brien and Tim Kelly or O'Brien and Deshaun or there, it seems like there must've been some sort of a kind of uh, come to Jesus moment where they decided to abandon one tact and continue on with another tact. And I'm not exactly sure what that is. If I were to guess, it would have something to do with, you know, letting Deshaun decide what he wants to do in the game plan more than O'Brien does. But I, I can only, I can only guess.
0: Yeah. The only, the only guess I can come up with is one, the opponents changed where you know, Atlanta's a bad defense. The Chiefs have, like, they've had the worst run defense since t- 2017. Uh, they were 32nd DVOA in DBA 17, 32nd last year. They're 30th entering this game. I'm sure they're 32nd now after, you know, Carlos Hyde ran all over them. And I think also, too, it just seems like the offense is simpler, where there's a lot more play action. There's a lot more options involved in things. And, like, you don't really see Watson staying there making, like, three or four different reads or his head scan the entire field. It's mm-hmm. like, if there's a blitz coming, okay, I know where I'm going to go with the ball. And a lot of their D-passes seem really you know, manufacture where they're taking shots in specific situations, and he's holding on the ball waiting for those things to open up. And if they're not there and not open, he can always dump it off to Duke Johnson, or he can easily take off and you know run and get something out of nothing too.
1: Yeah, it's always confused me with Deshaun since he started in the league because we saw right away when he, uh, when he got going after, I guess, Game 2. I, I don't count Game 2 in 2017 because it was a short week when he started against the Bengals, but after that, You could see him, you know, looking off safeties and moving his head, and you know, kind of moving the chest pieces of the secondary around. And then he went through this long stretch where he, you know, I'm sure obviously the league adjusted to him a bit. And went through this long stretch where he was just holding the ball too long. And we're two weeks removed from that now, and certainly it could come back. But that's that's why I feel like there's something that was always there that potentially Bill O'Brien was keeping from, you know, being exploited. And, uh, and it's just like, like a switch has been flipped because he's always had the ability to, you know, go through his progressions before. And I just, I'm just really curious what happened there because, you know, even in the, even in the last two weeks, it's not like he's going to the first receiver every time they've certainly, I think they've simplified it so that he gets to his, through his reads quicker, but he's not having to go through so many of them. So, (laughs) it's really mind-boggling to me and I'm trying not to be negative about such a positive thing but I just I just kind of want to scream sometimes because I feel like that we could have been doing this for a long time already
0: yeah and that and that's kind of I guess that's kind of like the, the bad side of it is that this has been sitting there for a long time O'Brien's been the head coach a lot of people also say like well the quarterbacks are bad but he picked the quarterbacks and the offensive line yep. was bad like he helped make decisions that made the offensive line bad absolutely and so like it's not it's not like a I guess it's not a binary thing where oh well every bad decision wasn't because of him every good decisions because of him you know he was there yep. for every step of those processes too, uh, but yeah like so like this game specifically with the Kansas City Chiefs the only team to beat Kansas City like arm for arm and take down Mahomes was the Los Angeles Rams a I football in that fifty four fifty one win that the Rams had and the Chiefs had five turnovers that game and they and they that was the only way they were able to do that every other team that's beating them New England twice slash year Seattle. Indeed, the Chargers, uh, during the Mahomes era. And they've all won one-score games, and they've all beat the Chiefs by holding them to about 11 possessions, less or so, forcing at least two turnovers, and having games where they've run the ball 20 times and keep Mahomes off the side of the field. So Houston had the ball for 39 minutes and 48 seconds. They picked up 35 first downs. They ran the ball 41 times for 192 yards, averaged 6.7 yards an attempt, and they ran 83 plays compared to the Chiefs' forty six. Uh, so, are you surprised at all by how well the Texans' offense looked and how they were able to take advantage of the Chiefs linebacker group?
1: I mean, definitely. I, I, mainly because the Atlanta game, as, as amazing as that was, we all knew that the Atlanta defense is a, is a disaster. So, and, and just from all the stuff that came from the postgame, you know, Deshaun's dissection of their defense. And even other folks on Twitter sort of piling on saying, you know, it doesn't get much easier for this for a quarterback and and, and several of those plays. I just thought, well, you know, Atlanta has a bad defense and they had an especially bad game in that game. And who knows what could happen from there. So I just kind of figured since we're used to this, you know, the Texans play great one week. They play terrible the next week, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, you know, they had a 50 plus point game. What Was it two years ago against the Titans? I think that was two seasons ago. So this is not it's not unusual for, you know, to have an outburst like that sometime. And certainly 31 points is not 50 plus like they did against the chiefs. But I mean, the chiefs have legitimate pass rushers and uh, as you're fond of pointing out, they have pretty decent corners. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that they executed the game plan as well as they did. I can continue to be surprised by how improved the offensive line has been. And the fact that they were able to put together uh, an actual game plan offense, you know, they, you know, O'Brien's fond of saying, we're, you know, we're a game plan, you know, offense and defense. They're going to have a different game plan every week. And I mean, I just thought it was gorgeous. I, it was just, it was just so, so well-crafted against the Chiefs and to a lesser extent against the Falcons. So you, you can't run them surprised.
0: Yeah. And we had a question from at X in Texas, and he asked, what was wrong with my eyes? OB seemed to called a beautiful game I think he really I think he did and again I think it really kind of comes down to running a more vertical offense like Houston's try run the outside zone and it doesn't work at all. Uh, the outside zones a lifestyle. It's not something that you can just like kinda do every once in a while. And you know, Tyus right. Howard was really bad at blocking that scheme. Uh Sharping was yeah. bad at blocking that scheme too. And so but they're like again
1: when you're when you're a game plan offense, it's tough to be great at something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not gonna do it every week. And
0: it's continue. even it's even something that, like he says that they are, but they a lot of that game plan offense is just like, oh, we run the ball in first and second down, and then we try to like convert third and seven by third to Sean uh to DeAndre Hopkins. But they ran a lot more vertical, uh, a lot more vertical power running plays, a lot of dar, a lot of inside zone. Like that, they had a drive in the second half where it was just Max Sharping running power, like five plays in a row, and, you know, Duke Johnson averaging like 13, seven yards a carry, and uh, that worked out really well. And also just attacking the Chiefs linebackers, too, by using play action. Their secondary receiving options, so these are non-wide receiver players. They caught it 12 of their 15 targets for under 42 yards and one touchdown, and um and Watson was like really great from that like zero to 10 yard perspective, too. And mm-hmm. so, like, that's exactly what you're looking for to, you know, hold the ball, keep Mahomes off the field and attack the Chiefs, you know, just, just awful, like, wretched linebacker group. Like, they missed Anthony Hitchens, and he's probably like as replacement level of linebackers linebacker as you can get.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, where did this come from? Where the, this, this idea of, you know, the short passing game as the running game, on top of the fact that they had a, a dominant running game in that game yesterday, I, like, where has that been? It's, it, you got a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. So why isn't that always there? You got a guy who's so quick off the line, like Will Foyle, who can get off those little slants and get his back to the defender. It's always there. Like, it's always been there potentially. So why yesterday? I just don't get it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the week before too, because even, you know, Carolina had matchup uh, opportunities that they didn't they didn't take advantage of. Even Jacksonville too. Uh, they could have done some things that have been better against Los Angeles. Los Angeles, I think, was more the result of Watson making great plays outside the structure of the offense. But it is, does seem like you know, by being a game plan offense, uh, as you're saying, it just kind of means O'Brien coaches down or plays to the opponent a little bit too much where it's like it just leads to close games and they just kind of skate by from there or they lose a coin toss and or they stop Leonard Fournette on the one-inch uh, on one line. And that's kind of like oh, the, God. the give and take <laughs> that we see with it. You know?
1: Yeah, it's kind of amazing how the season's gone there. Uh, as has the Texans generally find themselves, there are just a few plays away from having two more wins or two more losses.
0: Yeah, but it always it's it's like Houston should be six and zero. Not that Houston could just as easily be one and five because like if right, for, exactly. if, for, if like DJ Reader doesn't close the gap and bump Fournette, he probably scores there. If uh, if they don't have that, if Trent Scott doesn't hold. Winnie Merciless on you know, third and fifteen or whatever, and Mike Williams converts at the four yard line, they probably lose to Los Angeles. And so mm-hmm. it's been so many just like one plays that have kind of changed games around here too. Um same with O'Brien, his game plan. I think one of the things that isn't true about him that's kinda of like, you know, punched into him is that he's bad on fourth downs. But I think he's done a very good job the last, you know, year or so, even going back to the Colts games, uh, that they've come back and won. Or won the Colts games that they shouldn't have won that they end up winning. Even then, he's done a good job of going for him fourth down, and this time he made a really big fourth down decision that kept the Chiefs off the. Uh, they kept the Chiefs from getting the ball, so rather than kick a 54-yard field goal, Andrew Fairbairn missed two field goals this game on fourth and three. They went for it and led to DeAndre Hopkins catching a slant route that Tyre Matthew tried to bounce back and make a play on, which he was unable to do. And so we had a question from at Stros fan, you know, and he said, "Chris was not kicking the field goal at the end of the game. The dumbest thing you've ever seen, or the gutsiest thing you've seen by Bill O'Brien."
1: Fenio very solid follow. Love that guy. Um, yeah, and just just to just to go back real quick before I get to the question, the thing with O'Brien is I I've never actually had a problem with him going forward on fourth down when he does. It's the it's a lot of times it's been the play calls he's made. On yeah, fourth down. that's a good point. But it's alpha blue for starting to sync up.
0: Yeah, it's alpha yeah, like exactly. blue up the middle on you know fourth and three and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's starting to sync up, and that goes back to uh, something that I know we talked about when it happened, that, that Patriots game a couple of years ago at the Seattle game towards the end, you know, he Watson was a rookie and O'Brien did not trust him. So he wouldn't put the, the, the ball in his hands to finish the game. And now he's got that trust. And it's kind of a, like, I want to give O'Brien credit, but I also kind of want to be like, well, duh, it's Deshaun Watson. Of course he should do this on the, on the, on the fourth and three in that game. First of all, I, I are you sure it was a 54-yarder? I thought it was shorter than that because I thought yeah, it was a, they were, it was a they were at the field goal.
0: They were at the 37-yard line. So oh, they I, were? Okay. Yeah, unless it was the 27. I'm very dumb. I can check real fast.
1: I, yeah, I thought it was more manageable than that because at, a, a, at 54 yards, then I would unquestionably say he made the right call with the, with the rough game that Fairbairn was having. For some reason, I thought it was a 45-yard attempt. It may have been 44.
0: That, I, I may just be the, dumb.
1: That, that, okay, so let's just do it this way. If it was a long field goal, then yes, he clearly made the right decision. If it was something in the mid-40s, every single NFL kicker Yeah, it's 44. Make that,
0: it's okay. 44, yeah.
1: So every single NFL kicker should make that kick, okay? And um, I might have a little bit of history of having an intense hatred for kickers. Uh, but he- here's my feelings on this. If you don't trust Kimey to kick that field goal, then if you don't release him the next day, then I don't know why he's on the team. Unless it's one of those things where O'Brien just says, well, you had a rough day, chalk it up to that day, and we'll restart next week. The reason I think it was the correct decision is, and I, actually I think it's I think it's pretty simple. Even though it was only a mid 40s field goal, you're going against Pat Mahomes. You're down your top two cornerbacks, and also we've sort of seen this uh, this we've sort of heard this song before many many times, where the Texans, you know, get a lead at the end of the game and piss it away at the very end. Um, now I know that's not the kind of thing you can really coach based on, but the fact that they have Deshaun Watson. The fact that they had great protection for him all day long. He hadn't he he'd only got hit once and he had no sacks. The fact that they have DeAndre Hopkins who I'm not gonna call I wouldn't call it, he's definitely not a quote possession receiver, but if you put him in possession receiver mode, he's definitely the best one in the league. Mm-hmm. So unquestionably to me that was the right call because what was there like a minute left? That was that's the Texans have proven over and over again that's way more than enough time to give a quarterback like Pat Mahomes a chance to get down the field and put you in, in the end zone.
0: Yeah. There, there was is two minutes left. So this play came after the two minute warning. And uh, yeah, I think it's that. And then I, I just think the, the probability of them converting on fourth and three was higher. than came making that field goal. And also like, the play call was really great too. And uh, Hopkins had been doing it the entire game. Like he caught, he caught nine passes in this game. Seven of them were for first downs, including this one. And throughout the game, like he relentlessly just caught like four yard passes on third and one or uh-huh. like a seven-yard pass on third and three to keep moving in chains. And it was kind of like the exact same thing that we saw throughout the entire game where the Chiefs tried to blitz. They couldn't get any pressure at all with that. The Texans offense line did a really good job actually picking up every blitz. They didn't allow any free rushers this game. And, uh, and like the throw was wide open too, and it couldn't get any easier at all than that for Houston as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so after this win, are you all in on Super Bowl contending Houston Texans? And this is from at CM350. I can't tell if the Texans are any good or not. Please help.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, Super Bowl contending. If, if we if we actually, I don't want to get into like a, a semantics war here, but if, if to be a Super Bowl contender, you have to be one of the top two or three contenders in the AFC, then, I mean, sure. Clearly the Chiefs have taken a step down. The Patriots are looking great on defense. Their offense is not looking so great, but you kind of get the feeling that they will uh, be fine. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, beyond that, like, I I just, I don't, I'm not really afraid of a lot of the other teams, especially if this keeps up, but that's the problem. We don't, we don't know week to week. Like I need, I need a sample of four or five weeks in a row since they started this sort of new, like whatever the hell they've done plan on offense to see if they can, you know, put up 27 to, you know, 34 points every game um, and see if it remains consistent that way because, and I mean, it should because we got the Colts next week. They have, I think, a, a, D, a better defense than people give them credit for, and I think they play the Raiders after that. So that'll be four games in a row starting with Atlanta, and we'll see where they are at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm just, man, it's just really tough for me to buy in completely um, when there's been as much inconsistency as there has been. So I would say Super Bowl contender, I mean, sure, I guess you could say they are. They've got you got Deshaun Watson working for you. You clearly have a lot of talent, the skill positions. And the thing that I think we should all be talking about is just how much the offensive line has improved. And on top of that, I guess you have this quick improvement of the offensive line, which is obviously the result of two things. Number one, the offensive line is obviously improved, but also Deshaun is getting the ball out faster. And those two things happening at the same time are making it look like they've taken this massive leap.
0: Yeah. And I think the third thing too, is they're actually picking up blitzes and stunts. And that was kind of the problem this, this whole summer. It's like your one job this summer was to come up with the starting offensive line combination. And they use four different offensive lines to start the first month of the season. And they settle into like finally what they want. And then Tyus Howard got hurt. Robert, Roderick Johnson will play and Johnson I think it's like can play a similar level of ho- of Howard. Like it's more of an opportunity cost that you lose of Howard's development more than like a big drop off in performance in that way too. Um, yeah, you know, and, and the weird thing about Houston is like the first f- four games of the season they were two and two. Their point differential was exactly zero. They were as mediocre as you can be. And then these last two games they had two great offensive game plans, took off and won uh, and won two very big games. I think what they've really just proven is that. You know, with Watson playing like this, they have the talent to play with anybody. But again, it's just the consistency to say, like, yes, the Texans are, you know, spectacular. They're going to be like the number two seed potentially or something like that. Or they're just going to be like, you know, 9-7, keep bouncing around. And I really have no idea. Like, the team is playing a lot better than I thought they were going to during this year, and that has been mm-hmm. a welcome surprise. A lot of the dumb things that they did this offseason have worked out for them really well. Like, not science here, pass rusher, because Charles Manu, who is just, like, filled with big plays. Like, he does the things Barkavis Mingo wish he could do. And DJ uh, reader having an impact too. It's so like a lot of this stuff has worked out really well. And so I don't know, like it was, it was awesome, Like they did exactly what they needed to do. They had a perfect game plan. And it's like, now that they're learning this, I think like a switch has gone off. Hopefully keep doing it because the talents here and that's undeniable. It's just everything else that's held decent back for, you know, the last two and a half seasons or so.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible what having a top notch quarterback can do. And, I mean, if Deshaun keeps doing what he's doing uh, and he, and he's also taking care of the ball really well. I had a couple picks yesterday, but, you know, at least one of those, I think, was on what he uh, I'm trying to remember. There's one of them that was a little bit of extenuating circumstances, but he's generally taking care of the ball pretty well. He had that moment last year where um, he had that bad game against, I think it was the Bills. And then after that, I think he turned the ball over the rest 10 games of the season. He only turned the ball over like two or three times. So he seems to have really gotten a handle on on issues with that, and that combined with how lethal he's becoming when he's able to stay in the pocket and the you know the obvious weapon that he can take off at any time. I mean, just I, I legitimately feel like with some of these other guys aging, that he could be in the conversation of being you know the, one of the top three quarterbacks in the league, maybe maybe in the top couple once you know Brady retires in five more years.
0: Yeah, I mean he doesn't have a soul, so he's never going away. He's just a vampire. I right. <laughs> like. I imagine like his skin is just there's actually a concrete sheen along it that allows him to stay in the sun, uh, or his like mother was bit by a vampire as he was uh, being born that same day. Uh, the <laughs> only the only thing I guess the only thing I wanted to add about the offense too is uh, Watson wasn't very good downfield. He only completed one of his four attempts on downfield passes uh, throughout the game. He was or he was. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was one for four on, on passes over 20 yards. And they were mainly, like, it was that give up throw that led to the interception that ended up becoming points at the end of the half. And then mm-hmm. um, throughout the game, everything was just really short. But what I what really hurt, though, the only thing that really hurt me in this game was uh, Fuller dropping that pass over <sighs> Tar Matthew. He dropped two of them. And, like, mm-hmm. all I've been wanting for is to Tar Matthew get Lord by uh, Will Fuller. And he stole that from us. And I don't know. I don't think I can ever. I can ever uh, cherish Will Fuller the same way ever again. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah, I can't look at him the same way ever again. I'm I'm devastated by it. I, I
1: know when that happened, I, I instantly thought of you because that was the moment you were waiting for. And I just it's crazy that or that Will Fuller dropped as many passes this week as he caught last week.
0: Yeah, or he I mean, he, uh, he dropped he, as many touchdowns as he caught last week.
1: I'm sorry, touchdowns. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know in this game. Uh, I don't recall how many of the drop TDs. There's three by Fuller won by Hopkins, how many of those drives ended up actually being touchdowns to to be able to tell, like, you know, because Watson had a really good game, but he could have had another kind of AFC player of the week type of game if if those guys, you know, those generally dependable guys had caught the ball. Fuller's had a strange career because he came into the pros with the knock on him that he couldn't catch the ball, and Almost immediately, I think in his first, se- first or second game, he had a bad drop, and then he was fine for a long time. And suddenly in this game, it just came right
0: back. Yeah, yeah. those old, de- those old demons are harder to fully chase away. Yeah, Watson on throws over 10 yards to the air. He was 2 for 9 for 41 yards. And so that was the difference. It was like everything 0, zero through 10 yards, he was unstoppable. The Texans were unstoppable. It was everything deeper that was uh, more difficult for him to complete. And part of that too is like the Chiefs have a good set of cornerbacks. I think also it really hurt them this game was losing Fuller. I think he hurt his thumb. And this is Kendall Fuller of the Chiefs. And then that led to the Chiefs having to do things like play Tyron Matthew one-versus-one-man coverage against DeAndre Hopkins. And uh, that worked out really badly as well, too. And so we had one other question here from at tags, And he said, is Sean Watson too good? And adding on to that diehard Chris, uh, where would you have Watson in your MVP standings? Because we all know that you get a vote at the end of the year. <laughs>
1: um, oh, man. Uh, I mean, I guess uh... – you know, Mahomes has been looking pretty great to the last couple of weeks. I'm kind of curious to see if this ankle injury, if they end up decide to maybe sit him a couple of weeks to see if he gets any better, if he's gonna to try to play through it. Um, I guess he'd probably be still at the top of my board for now. Although I haven't really looked today to see uh, to see who's um, got the who's doing the best statistically, but just eyeball test. I mean, Mahomes is up there. I'd I'd put Watson in the top three for sure. I mean, he's coming on lately. And if not for a couple of just really bad games early on, uh, he'd he'd be up there. But the thing is, he could have had, like I said, he could have had even better games if his receivers would have helped him out yesterday. So I mean, I guess I could put Watson in the third right now. Just um, I'm just not super caught up on, you know, all the statistical stuff with the quarterbacks right now. I just generally don't pay attention to that stuff. Let, let me let, let me just. Let me just play the role of Deshaun Watson right now and say this is for you guys to look at, and i not pay attention to that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think he was like fifth in DVOA and DYAR entering this game. And I'm sure that will bump up a little bit too after his performance in this one. Uh, well, so mine would be, I think Mahomes won still. I think he just kind of even showed like how important Mahomes is because if he's not on the field, like the Chiefs can't run the ball very well. And they're like, again their linebackers are so bad, and all their like free agent acquisitions haven't worked out very well. Like Chris Jones has been the only plus pass rusher they've had. Frank Clark has been bad. He couldn't get around Tunsil or Tyus Howard in this game. Emmanuel Ogbu was non-existent. Alex Okafor been was non-existent too. And like just like that, that front four switch hasn't worked out very well. Um, I would put Mahomes one. I put Wilson two. I put McCaffrey three i put Teddy Bridgewater, four, because the only stat that matters in football is win-loss record. And oh the, Saints, the Saints with Teddy Bridgewater, four, now, And oh, now I'd put Watson, five.
1: It's like your hopeless addiction to Teddy Bridgewater is just it's just never-ending.
0: Yeah, of course it doesn't end. Also, um, Martinez-Rankin, really great game yesterday. Like You don't have mm-hmm. to have a winner and a loser in a trade, I think, both teams, uh, you know, got what they need to that trade, but Rankin had a really good game. That screen pass touchdown they had, all Martinez Rankin. Zero <laughs> yeah, zero a, pressures allowed. Just great job on the interior.
1: Yeah, just good job standing there and being being big. <laughs> yeah, he
0: he looks slender too. Like he looks like he's lost some weight since he was in Houston too. I'm happy. I mean, for him. A,
1: the Texans definitely gave up on him too easy, I, too quickly. I really wish they wouldn't have, but you know, I, from talking to you about it over the last couple of years, it didn't seem like they were gonna use them the right way anyway. But now with this newfound, what the hell is happening? We're doing things the right way. Who knows?
0: Yeah. I, I still can't believe they put him at left tackle like that after uh, Sancho Henderson went down week one last year. Like that was just so unbelievably dumb, uh, but they, they're learning. They're learning. So the last question I have for you regarding the offense is that they ran the ball 41 times through 190 yards the other thing I really enjoyed about the game plan was that they went down 17 3, and they didn't do like what I would have done, which has been like, okay, we need to throw the ball. We can't you know, stick to the run. We got to catch back up. Uh, they stuck to a really balanced offensive attack, and it worked, and it kept Mahomes off the field for the majority of the game. So, do you, are you buying the Texans' run offense, or do you think it's just a case of they played a bad opponent and uh, it's really easy to run the ball against the Chiefs? Because, for example, the Lions have a bad run, rushing offense, and Carry on Johnson averaged 4.78 yards of carry against them, too.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think this definitely was the case of them having a bad rushing defense. Now, I don't think the Texans' rushing offense is bad, but they had an especially bad opponent with it. And, and I, I got to say, when they were down 17-3, I, I did get that feeling of, you know, oh, here we go. This looks like it might be a blowout. But I, I definitely did not want them to give up on the running game because I just I had seen so much during the week about, you know, how, how poor the Chiefs were. Against the run. So I figured they would at least try through the first half, try to keep the game close uh, and just kind of get a couple of stops because I mean, you know, how it is in the NFL. It happens. You know, we see it all the time. There's a flurry of offense in the first half and you think, oh, damn, this is going to be a 60 point game. And then, the, you know, the there's adjustments made at halftime and that that offense that had such a great first half comes out and scores 10 points in the second half. So mm-hmm. So I, I was fine with them sticking with the run and it was pretty clear from the jump that they weren't going to be stopping anyone. So yeah, I, I thought that was, I thought that was the right way to go. And, and, you know, how it worked out. I just was very afraid yesterday that with the secondary, uh, we all had the same, I'm sure we all had the same reaction. when We found out shortly before kickoff that Jonathan Joseph was going to, wasn't going to play. And just like, Oh boy, <laughs> this is, this is not good. This is not good at all. And, you know Roby's injury, and you start thinking, well, Andy Reid's one of the best offensive game planners in the league, <laughs> so he's going to figure something out here and turn this thing around. And it just didn't happen. The Texans just made just enough plays to survive. There's some strange pass interference, you know, challenges that didn't get accepted. Oh, and I then love the, it. The mysterious thing with Kelsey, where they picked up the flag, and I just, I don't know, man. There's some weird things happening there. I don't know if you read. Florio's article, his little conspiracy theory, as he loves to do about that whole thing.
0: No, I didn't it read was, it.
1: Yeah, he's he's a guy I generally try to avoid, but he had an interesting conspiracy theory about one of those because they had thrown a flag. It was the one where they said, you know, the ball was, it happened while the ball was the, was in the air. But it was a
0: holding penalty, though. That was I didn't understand.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, but sorry. that. Or it should have been a holding, holding, it holding penalty.
0: Should, that's what they should do. They should say it. it's not pass interference, it should right. be holding, and then happen right,
1: happen like that. Florio was saying that he could see one of the referees pushing in his ear, which means somebody was talking to him. And without the benefit of an actual challenge, someone kind of overturned it before they even got that far. Someone who wasn't an official on the field. That was sort of his working theory, which I thought was interesting. a little bit interesting. But that's kind of what he does, Mr. Conspiracy Guy. Yeah. But Anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, it is Columbus Day, so whatever he takes for granted, we have to listen to. Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Like, And so that was kind of, whenever I wrote the post-game thing for, I said, you know, all rational football analysis is is futile. Everything I know is wrong. And that's just mainly because of the defense here, where without Jonathan Joseph, with Bradley Roby getting hurt and going against this Chiefs offense with, you know, without really getting much of a pass rush at all in this game too, they still held the Chiefs at 24 points. Um, the Chiefs' last three drives of the game, all in the second half, they only had three drives. One, the first one was 10 plays, 64 yards, a touchdown. Three plays, zero yards a pint. Three plays, negative three yards a pint. And so what was the best thing you think the Texans did from a defensive perspective in this one?
1: Well, I mean keeping Mahomes off the field, I guess, is something that the offense did. So I can't I can't go there. Yeah, that's why I worded it like that. I, yeah, yeah. But I mean I, I I don't really know how Romeo did what he did with the personnel he had in the secondary to to limit them. I mean, I, I keep wanting to not give the Texans credit. I keep wanting to go back to, you know, Reed failed to make adjustments or Mahomes' ankle clearly he couldn't drive the ball. And those things all played a factor, I'm sure. But the Texans just, and like you said, without the benefit of a, of, of a pass rush, I mean, when you look at these things individually, you think, you know, you don't see the score. You think there's no chance the Texans actually won this game. But lo and behold, um, they just made some timely big plays you know, jeez, I mean, what's his name from the um, the, uh, the non Barkevius Mingo piece of the clowny trade made a nice play uh, Jacob Martin mm-hmm. made a nice play tipping a ball uh, getting on uh, Mahome's arm right before he released one and got the big play by a minute I mean they just they just made some timely clutch plays and I, I, I'm gonna have to kind of leave it to you who uh, examines the game film much closer than I do to tell me what the hell they did because I don't really know myself.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of perplexed by it. I think the biggest—I think Phil Gaines had a really good game, which is surprising. Uh, but I think in the second year, the best thing they did was play the ball at the catch point. Like, Kansas City's receivers, they really kind of alligated arm of stuff. They let things come into their chest. Unless, of course, you're Tyreek Hill jumping over Justin Reed to catch the ball at the goal line. But I think they, they did a really good job playing, playing the ball in the air. The one thing that was kind of weird about Kansas City's game plan is don't, I feel like they didn't push the ball downfield enough. Everything was really short in this one. Uh, They ran too many screen passes and stuff too, and they didn't need to because, again, like the cornerback talent Houston had out there, they should have done more like isolation routes, that sort of thing. And they didn't. And like Pringle never got going, Robinson never got going. Like Tyreek Hill was the only guy who really had a good game. And Travis Kelsey, like, really kind of problems being jammed to the line of scrimmage by uh, both Lonnie Johnson and uh, Tayshaw Gibson too. But like, you know, numerically, the biggest thing they did was stop Mahomes throwing downfield. On throws uh, ten through twenty yards to the air, he was one of five for eighteen yards. On throws from more than twenty yards in the air, he was one of five for forty six yards and a touchdown, which was that hill play. And so, like from like a schematic thing, like a film thing, I don't know what it was. I really didn't see Houston do very much aside from playing man coverage. But I think a lot of that had to do with Mahomes' ankle too. Where like the throws just didn't have the same amount of speed on them. Like that, uh, a good example was that non DP or that DPI call that they tried to overturn. Lion Johnson against Travis Kelsey. But well, the ball's like three, like it's two feet off the ground. And that's why they didn't call the penalty on it. It was kind of like uncatchable and so low. And mm-hmm. like Mahomes just wasn't getting the ball there like he normally does too. And so I think that had some something to do with it. But it was a combination just like Houston playing good man coverage, playing the ball up high, too many screen passes. And then, uh, and then of course, like Mahomes just not having the same arm strength as he usually does.
1: Yeah, our, our uh, mutual friend uh, Rivers McCowan, I remember last week, tweeted out something about, playing you know how much success Mahomes had had against, uh, against man versus zone and his cry into the internet hoping that uh, Romeo Cornell would notice that. And sure enough, there was uh, some more in-man elements. And I, I really do think that his injury played a pretty big role in that, but it, it ended up working out.
0: Yeah, and I think it played a big role too in the Colts game last week. I know Bill Barnwell wrote some posts. I wrote like one thing in the article that he writes. Bill Barnwell does in posts. He writes, you know, he's a, he's a professional football writing man. And uh, he was like, since Ma- <laughs> since Mahomes' injury, he's been like Andy Dalton level performance, uh, not Mahomes' level performance, just like with the, his inability to throw the ball downfield, that sort of thing, Ouch. too. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that was really strange was that last possession they had where they were down by seven and they went screen and they ran option play where it was either handoff or throw a screen to the left. The, te- the numbers matched up for him to hand it off. So they went negative four yards, one yard, and then third and 13. That was the Kelsey play call, too. Yeah, I think like Reed just like did a bad job just not being more aggressive as well too and uh, kind of bungled it, which is like what Annie Reed uh Annie Reed is often to do. So like yeah, like I think Bill O'Brien will hundred percent outcoach Andy Reed, and this was like the first time in his career he's done that where he's got a win against Kansas or he had one win against Kansas City but usually they beat him up pretty good. And uh, uh-huh. like he, he did a good job in this one. It was very uh very heartwarming.
1: It's yeah, it it's been our not, and I'm not saying this to to pile on O'Brien because I know we all do that plenty, but but seriously, when when the Texans win games, it's very rare that we point out almost immediately that the Texans out coached the opponent. It's always because you know Watson did this or the defense stepped up or whatever, and and it's just rare that O'Brien out coaches someone and out someone as as good as Andy Reid generally is. So, yeah, I mean I will I will take that because as we all know, O'Brien did not have time to work on his mediocre coaching skills because he was you know busy becoming a bad personnel man in the offseason
0: <laughs> well also like he still needs time you know it hasn't been five and a half years or anything I know, right like
1: it's just my god like I, I, that's what i'm saying like it's so frustrating because i want to be i want to be excited about the change but instead i'm just like finally and i mean i can't even say finally yet because really it's just two games and let's see and give me give me four or five more with this new way and you know, I think we'll be able to tell if, you know, they drop a game or two in the next several games. It may not necessarily be because they've gone back to their old ways. I just want to make sure they don't go back to their old ways. You know, they've chosen this path, and I want them to live or die by it. I don't want them to fall back into whatever was happening before.
0: Yeah. I always joke with BFT. It's like, yeah, you, you had hair before O'Brien was head coach. You know, we're all old <laughs> now. We used to be young once, and now we're all old uh, since O'Brien's been the head coach here. It's been that long he's been here. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about on the defense was the pass rush. So the Chiefs' pass blocking has been very good since Fisher was hurt and they replaced him with Cameron Irving. And so this game, Houston did what they shouldn't have done, but they did what you expect them to do, which was rush JJ Watt as the left defensive against the right tackle because he always does. Anyone anyway, against Mitchell Schwartz, who's their better pass blocker, and it was Winnie Mercer's against Cameron Irving. And the Texans had two quarterback hits. They didn't. They had one sack this game. And that was Charles Mennuhu. On his sack, which was a play-action pass that he just like, it took him like five seconds to make the play, but he did a good job keeping his feet moving and create a lane and then playing the ball, whenever he got there as well too. But um, I want to mention this just because I know there's so much talk about like Winnie Merciless being a defensive player of the year candidate and that sort of thing, but he was locked down by Irving throughout this game. His spin move wasn't working, and uh, it's kind of like the same thing I've been talking about throughout this year is that his rushes are really wide. They're really looping. A lot of them don't affect the quarterback at all because they can calmly step up. And the ones that have affected the quarterback are usually, if they're not an inside move, it's because the interior pass rush is there driving the quarterback back into them. And so, like, I, I think it's important, like it's an important distinction to make. And it was brought by at Texans Thoughts as well, too, the question where he's not sure he's a convinced this production. Where, like, Merciless is a big play pass rusher, and he's not can provide a consistent pass rush. And so whenever you have Watt being locked down, gets a good right tackle, which he has been at times this year. Uh, even going back to last year and Brian Smith locking him down. Um, so like that's kind of like the kind of the, ob- the problems you're running into whenever Houston plays. You know other teams maybe they have good, they have a good right tackle and merciless is in the past where she needs to have have an impact. It worked out this game. I still can't believe the secondary didn't give up 31 points or whatever. Uh, but like wow. that's something to keep an eye out for sure in the future.
1: Yeah, and on uh, on Merciless, I, I think the question he asked was about bringing him back. And um, if you wanted to get into that for just a minute, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be brief because I don't have a ton of time, but I don't think you have a choice. And I have two major reasons for that. Number one, I think every snap that J.J. Watt is healthy is a gift at this point. You know, he's still obviously very effective, but he's later in his career, he's got a lot of tread on those tires. So, uh, and, and beyond those two guys, you don't have anybody. And number two, where do you get from your pass rushers in the first round of the NFL draft? And <laughs> that ain't coming. Yeah. For at least two more years. So I don't think you really have a choice but to 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 try to bring Whitney back and just hope to God that they maybe they should rehire Rick Smith for just a you know a couple of minutes to have him renegotiate another team friendly deal with Whitney like he did the first time.
0: Yeah. Or like sign Merciless for twelve million dollars a year, hopefully, and not make it eighteen million dollars or something absurd. Uh, I think, like, I, I don't know. I've, I haven't really looked at the options at all. Like, I know Shaq Barrett's on a one year, $5 million contract. And so like, you can find pass rushers sometimes on the edge. It's very hard to do, though. And so I really haven't thought about, like, taking back for next season because we're still in the middle of this one. I'm just, like, been very wary of his production and what he's done. And, like, he's great, like he has to, but he has to have, like, something helping him out to have the plays that he makes as well, too.
1: Right, yeah, he, he's not hes not a guy who's gonna just overpower anyone or outspeed him. He does need a little bit of help,
0: yeah, except for Will Richardson Jr. Like, his spin move is awesome that game. But aside from that game, like, the inside move has been working as well, and uh, he's needed that interior push too. And I guess, real fast, uh, before we get to go, I want to talk about Charles Omanehu. Omane, however, I can't say his name very well. Uh, his strip sack, like, the biggest difference, I think, between the 18 defense and the 19 defense. Aside from one of the secondary options, like Roby being very being very good in his roles like a slot corner, is they have an actual interior pass rush. Like DJ Reader's doing things that he's never done at all before. And whenever I watched the video for uh Omanehu coming out of college, I looked at him as like a defensive end. I just didn't see that speed bend and turn at all that you have to have on the edge. And he didn't have it. But I never thought of him being as like a long arm interior rusher who comes in just like on pass rushing situations and drives the guard back. And he's been so good at, at in that role as like a fresh um, interior rusher and uh, has provided like an actual interior rush that didn't seem possible back whenever we were watching Sheldon Richardson and Jerome McCoy and Dom Sue and... Mike Daniels and all these other guys get signed, and so like getting that pass rush out these two guys from these unknown sources has been you know such an enormous advantage that Houston's had this year that they have never had in previous years. Like they haven't had interior pass rush this good uh, since Antonio Smith was playing defensive or defensive tackle for them.
1: Yeah, good job, Brian Gain on that pick. So maybe next year. Oh, he's going. (laughs) So.
0: Yeah, I mean that's
1: I I really hope that O'Brien has had as much input on personnel as everyone seems to think he does because they're gonna need to find some more uh, you know mid-round diamond in the rough types like a minute who going forward since they don't have any first-round picks still bitter.
0: Yeah, and I do like Gaines' first draft too. I, his last, and even his last draft, like it's it's looking a lot better than I thought it was. And again, it's kind of like how they use these guys too, like. Howard, I was confused by because there was other guys available that could start right away that you could watch in the video. Mm-hmm. Sharping, I didn't think it was a guard at all. Johnson has played better than I thought he was going to, even if he's been being man coverage good amount, but he's like a test tube guy. And mm-hmm. uh, but like the mid round picks have have been have uh, I, been good, and you know he's done. I really think,
1: yeah, I really think Tyus Howard is starting to kind of put some stuff together, man. I was starting to get excited about his his uh, his career, and then you know luckily it sounds like he's only going to be out for maybe.
0: Six weeks, so, six
1: weeks or so. Maximum six weeks or so, but he seemed like he was starting to get his stuff together pretty good there.
0: Yeah, it's the run blocking stuff. It's kind of like, I think in 10 years, there going to be like RK Fire's Reflector is actually their best album, where like in 10 years, <laughs> they'll be like, actually, Brian Game was a really good GM, and he deserves more credit than what he got. So, yeah, it, uh, I,
1: I, I totally agree with you. I just really hope that that was secretly O'Brien's show behind the closed doors.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he's here, and the other one isn't. So I'll let yeah. you go. Um it was a, a very fun episode. The te- we'll be back on later this week to preview week seven, which includes the Texans from the Colts and other really great football games like the Chiefs and Broncos and uh and the Patriots and the Jets and the Eagles and Cowboys too. But um yeah. in the meantime, my name's Matt Weston, thank you for smell red radio. Wait,
1: wait, hold on, hold on. I want to plug something real quick. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it. Okay, I just wanted to plug something, and what I want to plug is Matt's quick thoughts that he releases every Monday or Tuesday, and if you're not reading it, you're really, really missing out, and uh, you will learn a lot more about the game than you even thought was possible to learn, so definitely check that out. So there you go. I just kissed the the host's ass right before the end of the show.
0: It's very very nice of you. Yeah, Monday at 12, (laughs) I have like, like three more gray hairs every Monday morning than I have before. Yeah, you know, staying up till like twelve thirty so I do it, but uh, yeah, thanks. It's always fun to ride. Like I feel like I don't really understand the game so I watch it the second time, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Man.
0: Uh, but yeah, but thanks for being on today. We'll be back on later this week, and uh, thank you for Spot Red Radio. And thank, you for, thank you for being on today, Chris.
1: Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.